0: 32 counties united by people my name is una
1: and my name is andrew <laughs> your name is andrew <laughs> andrea and this is united, united ireland. ireland. every
0: week on united ireland we go under the hood of issues in ireland beyond the headlines bringing you smart people
1: who know what they're talking about but we're an independent podcast people and we need your support So if you do like what you hear and you can spare three euro a month, do go to our Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland and pay for this podcast. Pay for content.
0: The Sunday soothe is back, meaning if you do support us on Patreon, uh, you get that every Sunday as a little moment. And also thank you to everyone who is supporting us. We
1: love you. Uh, This week, though, we're looking to Waterford to see how the city and recently crowned the best place to live in Ireland by the Irish Times I will con- I will challenge that as a South William resident uh, it's tackling der- dereliction and transforming buildings into social housing at a time when other cities and towns are really struggling to do the same but first up it's the State of the Nation What's the state, Andrea? The state of the nation. It's always interesting to see what becomes our state of the nation. I'm always interested to see how the process happens. Uh, First up, it's on every front page. It's the talk of the town, the talk of the world. Our world is burning. Are we going to cop on 26 times? It's cop 26. Yeah, that's kind of the main shit that's being talked about on every... Uh, channel and newspaper and rightly so it's good that the conversation has changed and that our burning inferno of a world is maybe being looked at to be saved will it be Greta Greta saying blah 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 it means nothing Boris is falling asleep next to national treasures with his mask off who knows where 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 do we go from here I ask well, of course, in Ireland, uh,
0: this will just constantly build a st- or be distilled into a conversation about how many
1: cows we should or shouldn't have. The national herd. What does that even mean? You're the national herd. You call me a cow, you bitch. No, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> um, anyway, what else is going on? Uh, so the public consultation on Capel Street and Parliament Street came back and showed that yes. As a nation, we want pedestrianisation. Oh my god, as a nation we want pedestrianisation. Watch out Rebel Phoenix, I'm coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, it came back uh, very much so that everyone was in favour of pedestrianisation. Obviously there are factions who aren't um, including residents and business, but the narrative around that seems to be very overdrawn when you look at the uh, figures. Um, But yeah, in a breakthrough, I feel like There's loads of people in Dublin City Council who are like pushing this through and they just need to keep going through these processes to get the big, bigger, bigger bosses, whatever we want to call them, to like be like, look, people want this. And you can see the internal struggle that's happening there. And now that it's written in the sand now, so hopefully we'll see this come through and that we'll see real action being taken.
0: Yeah, though it did seem from the consultation support that they're like outlining the overwhelming support for pedestrianisation and traffic-free vibes and streets on on Parliament Street and Cable Street. But it's less clear about what happens next, whether there'll be another trial after the two trials or the extended trial and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I wonder what the processes are for something being trialled, it being successful, report being done on all the public consultation that says yes, like loads and loads of people want this. In fact upwards of 90% or whatever overall. But then what happens next? It feels less clear about how Well obviously, it has to go that.
1: to this department. They'll speculate. They'll send it to another department. We'll have a conversation between the two departments. We'll send an email. There'll be a, a consultation between three other departments. They'll come in with their recommendations and then maybe we'll just like close one parking bit. Don't forget the relevant stakeholders, all oh, relevant stakeholders. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I forgot It's the name of that. my new band.
0: <laughs> um, now, yeah. the Sinn Féin Ordez was an almighty uh, hoopla. <laughs> um, and uh, that speech by Mary Lou MacDonald was very good, actually, I thought. Uh, rabble-rousing, enthusiastic, uh giving the people what they want and laying out a positive vision, I suppose, for Irish society. But there was also maybe a bit of a surprise for some people, given in the last election, how much this dominated leadership debates. What was that?
1: Uh, Sinn Féin brought a motion about the special criminal court. And they. Uh, I was looking at Waterford Whisper who were like, public beg Sinn Féin not to lose their morals before they go into power uh, to wait until they're actually in power to lose them. <laughs> um, so morals, I don't know if that was the word they used, but I'm paraphrasing. Um, but yeah, so they have they have come out in support of the special criminal courts, juryless court systems. And um, The next day, uh, the ICCL came out with like, here's all the reasons why these are absolutely against every human right, that's possible and why we deserve to be uh, given a fair trial by our peers and not just one uh, appointed judge etc yeah
0: so,
2: and i think
1: they're like in very specific circumstances they said they'd be okay right you very yeah but like what like that's bullshit i call it bullshit <laughs> perfect moving on <laughs> The next thing is the Irish Council or the Inner City Helping Homeless uh, charity has been closed down by court order yesterday. Um, and obviously it was shredded in controversy, but also was uh, built up by loads and loads of volunteers and people who wanted to do the right thing. And like, I have a problem outright with the fact that we need charities to do the work that a society is meant to be providing. By the people who are in charge. And I think it's absolutely banana ten that we have charities who have to do this work, firstly, I'd like to say. But I think it's really sad that it's been closed down. Um, it's been going to go into liquidation. And yeah, for all the people who put so much time and work into actually just trying to solve the housing crisis, I think it's a sad day. Um, but on we go.
0: Yeah, but also shrouded in really awful and very serious allegations. Yeah. Um, Towards the end as well. Okay, let's go to Waterford and see what's happening there. Now, rebuilding Ireland was the big plan for housing before the latest big plan for housing and failed to meet many of its targets, as we know, uh, considering that, yes, we still are living in a multifaceted housing crisis with rents and property prices still rising. In Rebuilding Ireland, however, there was a scheme called the Vacant Housing Repair and Leasing Initiative and that had a target of three and a half thousand vacant and derelict houses um, to be brought back into use by 2021. Spoiler. uh, Obviously, like much of the borderline fantasy figures in Rebuilding Ireland, uh, which has pretty much been kind of torn up and replaced with Daryl Brown's Housing for All plan, what actually panned out was far, far shorter, far, far short of that three and a half thousand in fact, just two hundred and forty seven homes were brought back into
1: use. Um, go on well most local <laughs> well, most local authorities essentially have failed to make this scheme work almost half of that figure, which is uh, the two hundred and forty seven is concentrated in Waterford um in Waterford City, one hundred and sixteen properties have been brought back into use. so what is going on in Waterford and does the small city offer a lesson in how to tackle dereliction. To chat about this and see what the lessons are,
0: we're are going to be we are going to be joined by one of the advocates of this scheme, um and someone who's also been hugely critical of how it's failed across the country, uh Fine Gael Senator John Cummins. So, Senator John Cummins, can you explain the practicalities of the vacant housing repair and leasing scheme for people who might be unfamiliar with it?
3: Uh, yeah, uh, the repair and lease scheme uh, was introduced uh, by Fine Gael in, in 2016 as part of the Rebuild in Ireland uh, plan. Uh, it was aimed at targeting uh, dereliction in cities and towns and villages uh, right across the country. And basically uh, what it does is it gives €60,000 of the upfront costs per unit uh, of renovating a property and bringing it back into use for social housing uh, purposes. Uh, Because oftentimes the difficulty uh, with getting a house or getting a a unit back into uh, productive use is that the owners don't have the money to be able to bring it back into use. So what the scheme does, it allows the upfront costs uh, to be front loaded, but that's fully recouped uh, by the state over the lifetime of a long lease. Uh, So take 20 years, uh, and, and there is a, a lease in place uh, with a family or an individual uh, through the council and uh, they pay their differential uh, rent uh, to the council. Uh, the owner of the property uh, gets uh, an agreed rent uh, minus the offset uh, to recoup that full uh, 60000 over the course of the loan. Uh, so it's it's a great scheme. It's worked exceptionally well in my own uh, county of Waterford. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, it hasn't been so successful uh, in other counties, which is a problem. And I want to thank you for for highlighting the problem uh, because it is an issue uh, mm. that we haven't got well, to take up uh, that needs to be.
1: Why do you think it's been so successful in Waterford? Um, what was Waterford's approach and why has it worked? And why have very few other local authorities really been successful with it
3: i think to be honest uh, it's a willingness uh, to 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 go at the scheme and to utilize it so it takes all stakeholders uh you know from uh, the council uh to engage in with auctioneers and builders and owners of properties i've done a lot of that work personally myself uh, to, to, to make people aware of the scheme uh, and to really get them to, to, to buy into the process here because there's a win-win here for everyone. Uh, you know, it, it tackles uh, dereliction. It helps uh, owners uh, who own properties sometimes accidentally uh, through, you know, um, getting it through, you know, somebody passing away um, or, or, you know, for whatever reason that it's handed down through the families. So it, it, it has worked through that engagement and we've coupled with that, we've also added in, uh, I suppose, the stick of the CPO um, and we've actively uh, gone after some properties where we have said to the owners and the council, uh, I say we, uh, but the council have said, uh, you know, we intend to CPO this property uh, if you don't engage with us in relation uh, to bringing this property back into productive use. Either yourself for use in the private rental market or we can assist you here with the repair and lease scheme. And we have plenty of people on our list uh, that would be very happy uh, to to fulfil it and, and take up a, a tenancy in it for a period of time. 20 years and
0: beyond. That's really interesting because a lot of people um in other cities are kind of constantly harping on about like why aren't compulsory purchase orders used to to well not not threaten, but like as leverage, I suppose, to, yeah. to get yeah. things back in. Well, what kinds of properties were brought back into use? And what has the impact been then on housing lists on on homelessness and and the broader kind of housing crisis in Waterford, uh, you know, more generally?
3: Yeah, um, it's had a transformational fe- effect and I, I don't say those words uh, very lightly. Um, you know, predominantly it has brought one and two bed uh, units uh, in the city centre in particular uh, into productive use, uh we, some of them have been delivered uh, with uh, utilising the exemption for commercial uh, to residential, which was introduced by uh, former uh, Minister uh, English uh, in the department, where you can take a commercial premises and uh, transfer it into residential use without having to go through the planning process. Uh, and other ones have gone through the planning process. I, take some along Barrack Street there, their former pubs um, that, you know, we all know exists everywhere uh, in our country, in every town, village uh, and city that will never be pubs uh, again and have been lying vacant for the last decade and I'm not talking about what has happened uh, recently. That could be used and are, like if I take uh, a former pub on, on Barrack Street, Ryan's uh, pub lying vacant for 10 years there are now uh, nine individuals and families uh, in units within that development uh, right. today that weren't in it 12 months ago. That's a success. That's a tangible thing that you can put your finger on and say, this scheme is working, it's delivering. And not only has it been successful for those families, it's taken that building that everyone has been given out about for so long and brought it back in with a whole new modern uh, front. And we've seen loads of those uh, across the city in older buildings, uh, in former commercial buildings. And there's a really exciting project uh, that I've been working uh, with new owners of a site. It's a former Little Sisters of the Poor uh, building on Manor Hill in Waterford City. It was a former nursing home. They're now in a purpose-built modern facility uh, over in Ferrybank, but that building has been lying vacant and uh, going to rack and ruin over the last five, six, seven years. That's going to be transformed into 71 uh, purpose-built, one- and two-bed units, predominantly for older persons. Uh, And it's going to be done through the repair and lease scheme. So with that project alone, 71 units, additional to what we've been doing in Watford uh, already, we're going to be outstripping the vast majority uh, of what the country has done combined, uh, which shouldn't be the case, to be perfectly frank.
1: It's, there's obviously a case for the sustainability as well of not. Uh, demolishing things and actually bringing things back into Course. Uh, yeah. uh, use. But has there been, how much has dereliction decreased in Waterford as a result? Like, is it visible when you're walking through now?
3: Yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, like, particularly on on streets that have seen uh, the delivery of units along O'Connell Street, uh, Barrick Street, I mentioned already, uh, Catron Street. Um, you'll see that very visible impact of of the Manor Hill one uh, shortly uh, when it commences. Uh, And, you know, you asked the question about the impact in relation to our list. We've actually reduced, um, you know, our numbers of uh, families in emergency accommodation by 93% and the number of individuals in homelessness by 55% in the period from 2017 to the end of 2020. Uh, as a result, predominantly, of this scheme, because we've delivered 118 units, uh, one- and two-bed units, through the Repair and Lease Scheme, and they're units that aren't being delivered in any other local authority in the country. And it, anyone involved in homeless service would tell you that one- and two-bed units are key to tackling the homeless uh, situation. So despite the fact that that we've had essentially presentations to our integrated homeless team in Parnell Street doubling in the same period. We've had such a dramatic reduction where we've eliminated the use uh, of B&Bs and hotel accommodation for emergency accommodation in water. It's a fantastic news story, uh, but it's lost because I don't know. Some people don't want to uh, cover it or it's not sexy enough to cover it, but it's tangible work that's been done on the ground in Waterford that should be done in every local authority in the country. And they really need to roll up their sleeves engage, uh, get their staff, vacant homes officers in every, have been appointed or funded uh, from the department uh, for every local authority. They need to go out to the market. They need to engage with the estate agents. They need to engage uh, with builders on the ground. They need to take what their councillors are feeding into them uh, because I know that is happening in in other areas and councillors are frustrated uh, that there isn't the action that's happening in my own county. So that's what needs to happen.
0: So, John, I, as far as I'm aware, in Waterford City, right, there's been 116 properties brought back into use. And mm. I think that um, in Dublin City Council, over four years on this scheme, they've done two, two yeah. kind of
3: like... there's There's been 31 in the four Dublin authorities combined in right. that same period.
0: So... Why was Waterford better able to do this than other local authorities? I mean, you talked at at the start about, you know, the will and all that kind of stuff. But given Mm. the level of dereliction, uh, particularly in in Dublin and in Cork as well, is quite pronounced. Like, why isn't this happening? This feels like a no brainer.
3: It is a no-brainer. Um, uh, there, 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 were challenges initially when uh, the scheme was introduced. Uh, that the the level per unit wasn't at sixty thousand. Uh, it was lower, um, and it was increased uh, to sixty thousand. Forty, I think, when it was introduced first, then increased to to fifty, and now uh, sixty thousand. And and that's per unit. So if you take that uh, pub on Barrack Street that has nine units in it, it's it's 60 by nine. So as you can see, it has that tangible impact of providing a large chunk of money of the upfront costs. So, you know, people shouldn't just look at it as, oh, there's 60,000, but, you know, this... This project is going to take, you know, a quarter of a million to do, but you may be able to get two or three units into a into a three story building in in Cork or Dublin. So you should be looking at it in the context of, yeah, well, now actually I only have a gap of, of 70,000 here and I'm going to have a guaranteed uh, rent roll for the next uh, 20 years if I utilize uh, the scheme. And, you know, I know there are people that, you know, disagree with leasing uh, and that's fine. We are ramping up the production of homes. But like you said, on a sustainability measure alone, utilising the existing stock and having somebody in a long term secure tenancy for 20 years is far better than having somebody on hat where a landlord could sell up in the morning and they have nowhere to go. So People that come into my constituency office and I deal with, and when they go up on the choice based letting system. People bid for them with LTL, long-term lease on them. Nobody minds because they're happy that they have a secure long-term lease. And some people that, that are in social housing, you know, they see it as a step stone so on themselves. They, they may not need it uh, forever. Some may, some may not. Uh, so it's about supporting individuals and getting them out of an emergency accommodation uh, situation and getting them into long-term secure uh, tenancies and that's what we've been so successful uh, at in Waterford and you know it is frustrating when I see the positive impact that it's happen- happening and I have councillors from around the country contacting me and saying we're, we're, we're feeding these things into our local authorities but they're not actually actioning what we're feeding into them That's frustrating to hear, and that's why we need to actually set targets for local authorities for delivery under the repair and lease. Not just general lease targets, but specific targets for the repair and lease, because it's only, I feel, when targets are placed uh, on executives predominantly within local authorities that you actually get the response that you need.
0: And maybe like consequences for those targets not being met, you know, because there was plenty of targets laid out in rebuilding Ireland that we know that would never, you know, the reality didn't come near them. But anyway, Andrea, you've got a a Waterford
1: as an Irish utopia question. (laughs) Much more, more very positive. Well, this is actually a really positive story, but uh, Waterford was recently voted the best place to live in Ireland by the Irish Times. Why do you think that is? (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, well, obviously, been uh, from Watford all all my life. Um, I we 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 say there's no surprise uh, in that. Um, it's it's just taken uh, the rest of the country uh, a little bit longer uh, to find us. Um, but to be perfectly honest, like I suppose I'm on. I was on uh, the council since 2009, um, and in that time, um, you know. The council collectively, management, staff uh, and the local authority members have really put a renewed focus on developing amenities within our city. I'm not saying that everything is perfect in Watford. It's not. We still have, you know, many challenges, Uh, but a huge amount of investment has gone into uh, public realm. Uh, You know, it's not without its challenges as well. You know, there are people, you know, change is not a simple thing to do. You'll have plenty of people that will say that, you know, the traffic changes that have been made around the city uh, are negative and they should go back uh, to the way that they were, one-way systems and all of the rest of it. Uh, But, you know, it's about trying to create uh, a city centre. Uh, that uh, people can spend more time in, the likes of additional cafes that have been you know, cropped up and restaurants. The Greenway has been transformational between Dungarvan and the city and there's the development uh, onwards now onto New Ross uh, that's been built at the moment. Uh, so all of those combined and a renewed effort uh, by everyone, state and private, uh, to, to really... Uh, up the game and to improve our offer. Uh, You know, there's been fantastic museums that have been developed within the Viking Triangle uh, area. Only recently, Museum of Time opened and a new silver museum to go along with the Viking and medieval museums that are there. And we're currently in the process of developing a cultural quarter within Watford uh, city center as well in the O'Connell Street area and there's been 27.6 million euros being allocated in URDF funding uh, to support that and to finish the work uh, within the Viking Triangle so it's a, it's an exciting time uh, for, the, for the, in Waterford
1: sorry what's the clubbing uh, like
3: What's the clubbing like? I I haven't been out, well. Nobody has been out clubbing in uh, in in a, a, a while, uh, to be honest, and and me even longer. So to be to be, to be honest, but uh, um, yeah, look the 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 night. Obviously, it's been a very challenging time uh, for for the whole nighttime economy. You know, uh, bars, restaurants, uh, particularly uh, the nightclubs as well student population being back uh in 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 the city is obviously uh, good for for vibrancy some people would say it brings its own challenges as well which it does of course everywhere uh, but you know um it's it's obviously it's obviously all about uh making everything work together um, and and that's the challenge anywhere and i'm not saying for one second that we have it uh, perfect but we've certainly made huge strides over the last decade in Waterford
0: Before you go John um, (laughs) there was a lot of uh, discourse I suppose particularly in Dublin um, and amongst kind of Dublin councillors uh, Dublin city councillors as well about the change to the vacant site levy uh, in the budget and how that rate of tax was cut from 7% I think to 3% and given another few years lead in time And a lot of people think that this is, you know, counterintuitive. Uh, And I know that a lot of local authorities didn't have the resources to collect the vacant Mm -hmm. uh, land tax or whatever it was called. But this feels like it will not actually have um, a meaningful uh, impact on dereliction and vacancy and may, in fact, um, you know, delay further um the sites that are vacant or derelict being used. Now I know it's an improvement that revenue would be collecting that because it is, you know, that that they have the resources and, you know, they'll do it, they'll do it properly, hopefully. But were you surprised by that change? Because, you know, it does seem kind of counterintuitive if you really want to tackle dereliction, cutting the tax that people have to pay and giving people another two to three years lead-in time is going to Maintain dereliction and vacancy for that period? Yeah,
3: I, I, I think there's a couple of points there. One, you're right to say what you said in relation to uh, it moving to revenue. I think yeah. that's a really, really positive um, move. Um, I think you also have to look at it in the round with the likes of the additional measures uh, in terms of CPOs that are going to be targeted uh, through uh, the Housing for All plan. CPOs are not without their challenges. And one of the main issues there is in relation to the risk that's there financially for the local authorities until a CPO is confirmed. So what I want to see in place is a fund uh, that will essentially de-risk the ability of councils to be able to go after um, more properties in terms of CPOs. But you can look at it in terms of individual properties, but you also have to look at it In the round. So, if you take a farmer that owns a piece of uh, land that he or she is farming at the moment that has been zoned uh, for residential purposes, and you know they don't necessarily want to sell it on uh, for residential development, you have to have a mechanism there, and you have to have a lead-in time to be able to allow them to to ask for that land, firstly. Uh, to be D zones, if that's what they wish. But secondly, if it is a case that you know uh, that they are going to develop it, as you know, it takes significant time to be able to develop plans, go through the planning process, and to actually commence. Because as part of that announcement, you'll note that it said commencing yeah, development yeah. on site. So you do have to allow people the ability to either offload land. Uh, because they have no intention of developing it. Um, And I think that will happen uh, and and that it will be given to people that will utilise it uh, for housing purposes. But secondly, somebody that does own a piece of, a parcel of land that maybe was saying, I'm going to actually, you know, wait around and see how things are going. They need to be given uh, a fair opportunity to be able to uh, develop their plans Get planning permission and commence on site. So that's the rationale piece. Uh, I'm not for one second uh, saying uh, that you know that 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 it should be delayed. I'm just saying that you have to be reasonable uh, with everyone, and it's not just a case of looking at that one derelict building it has to be looked at in in the round we're talking about tracts of land here as well as individual buildings
0: yeah it's probably an argument for a more sophisticated process with regards to urban dereliction versus um suburban or uh rural dereliction as well that there should be much more kind of uh robust approaches to um, dereliction and vacancy in cities, probably. Then, I mean, I, well, I would they're, imagine they're that co- the majority of people with with uh, vacant sites are not a farmer deciding whether or not to. to well, gonna...
3: well, actually, you'll you'll find uh, that when you go to the edges uh, of cities and towns, that is what you're talking yeah, about. That's true. Um, the, yeah, outside and, of cities. Yeah, and and and, and I think like. The, the the advantages of the way that we're going about this now is that it won't differentiate uh, between one and the other. It won't differentiate uh, between individual property that is lying vacant, that has been standing at that location for the last 100 years, and that tract of land on the edge of the city that needs to be developed uh, for 200, 200 houses in order to cater for the growing population that we have. And we treat them in the same way and we hand it over to revenue to be able to collect if we're not seeing uh, the action that needs to be, to be taken. So there's pros and cons uh, to, to every. you do in this space but you can't be looked at in isolation, you have to look at it in the round.
0: Well John, thanks so much um, for for joining us to talk about a really interesting um, success story that a lot of other local authorities could take heed from in in Waterford. We tend not to have Super positive conversations with um, Finnagal <laughs> politicians about the housing crisis, but this is one, so I, I appreciate it.
3: Well, look, I, I I just want to thank you for uh, for covering it. Uh, to be honest, because I think it is something tangible uh, that can have real impact and is having real impact in my own county, and if it is having such an impact in my own county, there's absolutely no reason why that shouldn't be the case in every other county in the country.
0: What's getting in the sea, Andrea?
1: Like it's just, um, I was about to say it's really petty, but it's actually not. It's the creation of Facebook's metaverse or Facebook's meta- whatever it is, whatever that creepzoid, is that a, that's probably not a politically correct way of calling Mark Zuckerberg, is it? I'm going with it. Uh, creating his new world to rebrand Facebook away from all the controversy that it's been going under and now creating Meta, um, which is actually kind of gas. And it's like, I just think it's so funny and also terrifying of how it's destroyed the universe. um or the metaverse (laughs) um but how facebook essentially started for creepazoid to rate which girls were hotter or notter in his universe and now he is creating this metaverse where we can connect in a in a in a different world can we actually not maybe connect in our real lives and actually we have enough connections. We're overwhelmed with connections. Maybe we could connect a little bit less and maybe a little connection to ourselves might be a bit more pertinent. So basically Facebook Meta can get in the sea.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a load of bollocks, isn't it? I mean, the rebranding exercise to Meta obviously is trying to detoxify the Facebook brand at a time when there is so much stuff kicking off and coming home to roost about how terrible (laughs) Facebook has been and the whistleblowers and all that kind of stuff but I think as well like for the company they're also in something of a hiring crisis and when you think about it like hot new up-and-comers in tech are not gravitating towards Facebook to work and also established talent and expertise is you know it's much harder to get those people to move
1: from other as tech they, companies as they question their morals. Do I want to be part of this? No. Yeah, because it's
0: such a toxic brand, you know. Um, and so maybe they think if they do this kind of like, actually, everything's going to be A or and V or and blah blah. They'll try, like, they'll attract more people. But I don't really see that happening. And i I just feel like this constant drive towards more virtual. Reality is really not what we need. Just like go outside, <laughs>
1: <laughs> look at a flower. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, as our ambassador to nature, Andrew Warren. <laughs> okay, um, excellent. And now it's time for it's bananas.
1: Okay. What's bananas? Okay, just picture me looking like old man screaming at cloud in The Simpsons. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what's bananas this week because Jesus Christ fireworks huh who would have thought they're a special kind of hell I'll never forget this Halloween I was hung over uh I have two dogs the fireworks are going off every second so they're barking non-stop my my I ordered food it took two and a half hours to arrive I literally was in a special kind of hell and fireworks are illegal so I just think it's really scabby on dog owners that fireworks are allowed to happen yeah okay so that's not really bananas. It? It's actually just me having the <laughs> opportunity to vent the hell that I had on Sunday night or whatever night it was. Well, I actually love fireworks. So and-, like.
0: <laughs> and I love Halloween, and I love hearing and seeing all of the fireworks everywhere. So I completely disagree with you. I also don't
1: own dogs, and I also wasn't hungover. So. I feel like this, we're on room 101 now. This is not United <laughs> Ireland. Is it bananas? Okay, it's bananas. Okay. No, <laughs> you fireworks
0: get, are going into room 101. You get to say what's bananas. Fair enough. Okay, now it's time for our fave bits. Tell me what your favourite bits are.
1: My fave bits are very few and far between at the moment. So I've delved into classic shit firstly First Wives Club is back on Netflix it's very comforting it's a very good movie uh, and yeah that's pretty much it apart from Trop <laughs> Pop is 9 yesterday forgot about that till last night I was like oh that's great isn't it Just look at us go so yeah they're my favourites. <laughs> very enthusiastic
0: happy birthday to all of the staff at Tro- <laughs> and customers at Tropical Popical um, okay my favorites. bits uh, I love the Criterion channel, which is a streaming service, film, film streaming service. So like my film watching kind of orientates around Netflix and movie and Criterion and then sometimes
1: Apple or Can Amazon I Prime. interject for one second? Yes. This is going in my It's Bananas bit. So I forgot my password for for Apple. You know what I'm like about forgetting passwords and not being able not to get like into it at all, Andrea. <laughs> so basically, I tried to reset it, and they're like, "We're going to put this under review to see if how long this is going to take. If you had an iPhone, we'd be able to do it right away, but you don't. So it's we'll see if you're going to be able to watch a film here. Fuck you, Apple. Is all I'll say. Could you? Cool. So, um,
0: anyway, on the Criterion channel, uh, there is a documentary called Original Cast Recording Company. And Company was a musical, 1970s musical um, in New York that was like this big cult hit or mainstream hit, I guess, at the time. And the documentarian D.A. Pennebaker, who some people who are into music docs will probably be familiar with, basically started. In oh, what's somebody else? I can't remember who the other person was, but they went on to run MGM or whatever. They're basically like, "Here's an idea, let's do docs on Broadway casts of musicals, recording the original albums." You know the way you get your like the album along with the mm. musical or whatever. So they recorded um, uh, one of them, and then that was it. The series never happened, and the documentary kind of gained this cult status. And now, in over the last year or so, it's become Uh, available to watch and it's basically the cast of company recording all of the vocal performances and all of the songs in this one 19 hour session in the studio and the documentary is an hour long but you just see these incredible um vocal performances and then also people just kind of like cracking and getting tired and it's just really really fascinating um And I never knew about Company until I watched Marriage Story, because that song that Adam Driver's character sings at one point, Being Alive, I was like, what the hell is this song? Like, I should know it. And that's one of the songs from Company. So that's how I found out about that musical. Really interesting story.
1: Anyway, (laughs) your favorites are way better than mine. I'm literally like. First Wives Club, you're like, and then this really good so I think our listeners will be like, Wow, I think we know who the culture person is this week. <laughs> I was in Crystal, by the way. Fave bit. That's a place of culture, I guess.
0: <laughs> but anyway, on the back of that, I started going back into Penna uh, Pennebaker's docks and rewatched um Don't Look Back, which is the documentary he made on Bob Dylan. A lot of it takes place at Bob Dylan's um tour, UK tour in 1965. He also made um, the doc Town Bloody Hall, which is a documentary about the public meeting in 1971 in New York that took place between Norman Mailer and a bunch of feminists like Germaine Greer and Jill Johnson and all that kind of stuff. And there's also a really good play about, that's an adaptation of that doc that I saw in Berlin a while ago with Moira Tierney from Eeyore. Segue. Anyway, um, so yeah, my, well, that is one of my favourite bits. Original Cast Recording Company and, you know, the filmography of D.A. Pennebaker. Okay, my other favourite bit is uh, a new Irish film called To the Moon by Tygo Sullivan. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to a press screening next week in the IFI. And it is a cinematic ode to the moon.
1: I have another favourite bit. Go on. Deadly Cuts. Oh yeah, I oh, haven't God. seen it it's yet. so brilliant. It's so funny. It's so sad. It's so frustrating. It's so... Um, oh, it's brilliant. Yeah,
0: I need to I need to see it. Um, and then my final fave bit is the fact that there are some interesting parties happening in Dublin uh, soon over the next week or so. Grace is back uh, this Friday the 5th and Skin and Blisters Night at Tengu is on the 13th. So there you go. And now it's time for... Book of the week.
2: Book of the week. Book of the week. Book, book, book of the week. Book of the week.
0: book of the week. Week 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 week. Okay, so <clears throat> obviously there's been a lot of talk about the future of Dublin and the present of Dublin recently, and really kind of mainstream mainstream media is. Uh, getting to grips with this, RTE has been doing some good stuff and I'm still dealing with the constant uh, pushback online that I'm somehow being alarmist or whatever even though everything is coming to pass but anyway, uh, that's kind of frustrating sometimes but um, How come? Do you not like it? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> Weird! Wow.
0: Um, I just often wonder what is the motivation for people being like, "No, what you're saying is wrong," even though what I'm saying is kind of obvious and is happening anyway. Um, so, so, on the back of that, our book of the week is "A Little History of the Future of Dublin" by Frank Macdonald. This is such a fascinating book because it goes through, like, from the Vikings, basically. To to kind of urban planning and city planning and how the city came into being. And so everything from the construction of, you know, the big avenues and streets, um, O'Connell street, previously Sackville street or whatever, and how when city hall was built and when the big houses were built in town, like the places that became, um, Leinster house and Paris court center and all that kind of stuff. And it gives you a really, really deep and detailed, um, perspective and loads of information about how the city was planned through the various ages and and kind of what's happening now and obviously frank mcdonald is you know kind of encyclopedic about not just um the urban planning in dublin but also architecture and the history of all of that um so really really good book to read right now um so check that out This podcast is produced by Andrew Mangana Castaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us his Tuna Chicken Roll for our soundtrack and Sarah Fox did
1: all of our design. And this week's Tuna Chicken Roll is from my favourite Tuna Chicken Roll maker. She's the style maven. I can't get enough of her looks. She turns a look and she turns a tune. It's Lyra, Lose My Mind. I've been Una Mlally. And I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that was Solving Dereliction in Waterford. Water fraud as our pot that
0: Oh, yeah, a little typo there. Waterford.
2: I can see you locally from across the room me, but I'm about bag to eat, I'll get my drinks for free, you can't hey. stop me, i put my hands up, my eyes shut, and it's ruined, it's okay, run away, I don't blame you, I'm drinking hard shots on rooftops.